Hello everyone, Zane the Penmeister here, back with our second episode of Behind the Screen. Today with me is my wonderful guest, Cameron, who joined us last episode. Welcome back to the show, Cameron. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure. All right. Tonight. You know what? Let's just jump straight into it. Ooh. As a player, do you prefer plot-driven campaigns or character-driven campaigns? Oh, uh, that is... Yes. Um, I like character... I like... Okay, I like plot-driven campaigns with character development. Um, so... For me as a player and as a DM, I would want that the campaign has a central plot, but then what I would also like is for the ability to have my character and each other player's character as well to have like an arc within the plot. So, um, that way, they every character has at least one moment in the limelight. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot of really good media out there, regardless of its origin, has each character having a moment of um, has a moment of shining through. Yeah, I completely get that. Now, as a DM, do you prefer to run a plot-driven campaign or a character-driven campaign? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I always, I always come up with a plot. Um, so there has to be, for me, there has to be a reason why there's a thing and it comes from being a creative individual there has to be a plot there has to be a reason why is why are we focusing on this one specific story what makes that story worth investing in both as a player and as a dm and Character uh, characters can offer a great way of bringing that stuff in. So what I tend to do is with a campaign, I will have a beginning and I will have an end. So I will be like, okay, this is how the players will meet and this is what's going to happen. And then the uh, end is this is what's going to happen eventually. What then happens is, is that I don't generally plan out the middle. And whatever the players do, that will influence the middle of the story. And eventually there will come a point where I go, okay, I feel like now's a good time to put this plot point in that I've had sitting here. Um, and then see 
uh, what happens. Yeah, I completely get that. Because you know you don't want to prepare too much, but you kind of have an idea where you want the story to end. So you just want to see how the players get you there. Or get themselves exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone gets there in the end. Yeah. You, you're the person who knows the destination, but you don't know how to get there, and everyone's looking at the map going, oh, we should go there, we should go there. I think the best part about plotting the beginning and the end like that is you can, with you knowing where the end is, it doesn't matter where they end up. You could say that they, let's say you want the end to be in this specific town in this country you've made, but they just, they follow this like whole plot line somewhere else. If need be, you can literally just move it. Yeah. This is a Probably the, my favorite part about that. You can change whatever you want. Definitely. Alright. How familiar are you with RPGs that are not D&D? Um, where to begin? Um, so, I think the first ever tabletop role-playing game I played wasn't even D&D. It was Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Um, I started with 5th and 6th edition and then got hold of 7th edition and thought, this makes it so much easier to plan. <laughs> I know there's people out there, I feel like 5th and 6th edition Call of Cthulhu are very much the 3.5 of uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, in D and D terms, and seventh is fifth edition. Got it. Um, but I, especially for players, I feel like for seventh edition is a bit easier, especially for newcomers. Um, other than that, I've done uh, games in Dungeon World. I've done uh, the Alien RPG. Um, Monster Hearts, Deadlands, uh, the fantasy flight game Star Wars RPG, uh, Edge of the Empire. Um, the list is quite long, uh, and of course Delta Green. Um, I knew you were going to mention Delta Green. <laughs> well, I had to. That's how I met my girlfriend. <laughs> That's fair. Speaking of which, I do... I do need to get that link for that podcast from you. She'll get it to you. That's that's not going to be an issue. Oh no, I just want to watch it myself. Oh yeah. But yeah, I'm uh. It's diverse. What about you? Oh me? Um, I've actually not really played a lot of tabletop role playing games except for D and I started D and D back when I was thirteen years old. Right about the time for the edition I came came on, I think. Might have been a little bit later than that. I forget how far back fifth edition came out. Yeah, it's it it's been out for a while, but at the same time it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Well yeah, I started on 
D&D 5th edition, playing with a couple of my buddies. We'd go over like once or twice a week or a month, and we'd play for a couple hours. And in the summer, we'd do like weeks of just D&D every single day at my friend's house. But that's really my extent for tabletop role-playing games. I mean, I've played like Skyrim and stuff, but... Yeah, as far as tabletops go, it's just been D&D for me. Enough. Now, just a little bit more on this topic. Which of these tabletop role-playing games would you consider your favorite or favorites if you can't decide between a couple? Thank you for that. For that, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Modifier. Uh, <laughs> I'd yeah, give say, you a plus two to the question. Yeah. Um, definitely for me, I would say Delta Green and Call of Cthulhu. Um, because I'm a massive lover of Lovecraftian. Uh, fiction. Um, looking into the world of a tortured, very, very troubled individual uh, is vaguely interesting to me. Um, I'd also say D&D is also one of my favorites. Um, and I I would also say Monster Hearts, interestingly enough, because uh, it's a fairly simple idea, but it's also a really good idea at the same time, or a game. How so? Uh, so Monster Hearts is, if you read just the premise, it makes... It's a fairly simple premise. The idea is you are playing a bunch of teenagers in high school who have suddenly gotten paranormal powers. Um, the So it's a simple premise, but you can do so much with it. You can have it so that maybe it's just a recurring thing across the world like oh all of you have paranormal powers or you can have it so that they have to keep it hidden it's like uh, you know it, is it a um monster high situation or is it a buffy the vampire slayer situation Neat. and uh, had a lot of fun with that with the game that i ran well cameron how much time do you play D&D compared to other RPGs you play? Uh, I probably would say for a while I was playing D&D at least once a week. Um, trying to balance work life with board game life was very difficult. Um, so I try and play uh, I try and play at least one board game, uh, one tabletop a, a week. 
Uh, and it has generally been D&D or Delta Green, one of those two. Um, mm -hmm. So at the moment, it is a real toss-up between those two as to which is the uh, which is the biggest contender. I'd argue D&D is the more long-term one, whereas Delta Green tends to be a lot more one-shots. Okay. And uh, how are you introduced into tabletop role-playing games? Um, I... So I actually got into tabletop role-playing games quite late. I was, I think, about 1920. Uh, not as in I was in the year 1920. I'm not a time traveler. Um, <laughs> I, may, I may have a British accent, but I do not have access to a blue police box. Um, the... Uh, I was, you know, I was about 19 or 20 years old, and um, I, of all things, got I got introduced to tabletop role-playing games by uh, Geek and Sundry, actually. Um, they um, not sponsored. Uh, they, yeah. Uh, they did a one shot of Paranoia because um, the latest edition was coming out. So they were doing a one shot, I believe, to celebrate that. Um, Ivan Van Norman was the computer. And um, they had Will Wheaton, Felicia Day, Matt Mercer, a um, bunch of other people whose names I can't remember. And I watched that, and I could not stop laughing. It was brilliant. It was fun. And I was like, I want more of this. And then I watched the Pathfinder Goblin one-shot that Critical Role did um, just before their 50th episode ever. <laughs> and I loved that. So I was like, oh, this is really cool. Are there more videos? Oh, there's more videos. There's oh, that's a lot of cheapers. That's a lot of videos. And then binge watched the ever loving crap out of Critical Role. Um, and was like, I want to get in on this. I want to find this. So um, through discovery of the internet, uh, on the internet, I just started looking for people who were interested in games. And then my my friendship base has expanded ever since. So do you think that D&D &D or other tabletop role-playing games have affected your day-to-day -day life with any influences or anything like that? Uh, I would say so. Um, definitely one of the things it did was it got me out of my shell. Um, I was uh, not someone who made friends easily um, because I had never really grown up 
uh, having friends. I was friendly, but I never really felt like anyone was a friend. And then um, with tabletop, it just changed my whole outlook on life because now um, I could have friends and things felt real and people felt real. And I could enjoy things that previously felt inaccessible to me. So definitely getting into a um, into the tabletop circle really helped with that. It made me a lot more confident to approach people and just say, hey, do you want to be a friend? And yeah. it, I and by becoming friends with people i've got out of my shell and it also made me a lot better as a person there were i was very much a controversial person before i got into tabletops and then uh, with getting involved in tabletops um i started to realize oh ah okay this is something that actually a lot of people don't like. I need to stop that because I'm going to lose friends this way. And so worked on that. So you would you say it's had a positive effect on your life? Oh, definitely. Very much so. If it wasn't for tabletop role-playing games, I think with absolute certainty i would be a much worse person than i actually am today so i owe a lot of my friendships to tabletop role-playing games and helping me get out of being a cringe edgelord wannabe that was borderline incel at one point um I'll happily admit that, that thanks to actually having friends and getting out of the house, uh, metaphorically, because a lot of the stuff is online still, but actually hearing from other people, it made me a much better person uh, today. Yeah, I could totally understand that. Give me a lot of good points there. Um, okay, here's one. How mm -hmm. young do you think a person should be before they start getting into the tabletop role-playing game scene? Or do you even think there should be an age limit and people should just be able to enjoy it the way they want? Um, I say let... Uh, I'd say let them come in whenever they want. Um, the trick is not necessarily to put an age restriction on tabletop role-playing. Do you think it'd you be smarter just to put a content restriction on games instead of an age restriction then? Yes and no. It's also just a case of remembering who you're playing with. So, yeah. 
for ex for example, if you're running a game with a lot of blood and gore and violence, um, like I wouldn't I wouldn't subject my nephews. I've got four nephews um, that want to get into tabletop role playing games, and the youngest is going to turn eleven soon. I would not put them in a game that featured a lot of blood and gore. Um, because I was in, actually talking with my sister about running a game for them. And I said that, and when she was like, can we have a game where there's not a lot of, you know, blood and gore? I said, okay, that's not trouble. So I came up with a game where the big bad evil guy was um, a necromancer. And they had a skeleton army. Um, so very child friendly in the sense of they're not going to go around killing people. They're just um, going to be knocking skeletons over and watch bone piles collapse. Exactly. And then they can fight the evil big bad necromancer. And we'll do um, when the big bad evil necromancer gets defeated, we'll do um, like an epic. Uh, their power, evil power, try uh, explodes and they disappear in a flash of sickly green light. Um, nothing, nothing bad in terms of like blood or anything. Um, so it'd be more like a Power Ranger enemy where they, you know, start glowing and just explode outward instead of yeah, like yeah. Yeah, nothing. I think um, I think the most violent thing they would have seen would have been very, to use a trope, very Disney-esque. Um, she but, pricked her so, finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel, and there was a single drop of blood. Oh, the yep. horror! Um, <laughs> actually, it's quite appropriate because. Malefic you do see what's left of Maleficent at the end of Sleeping Beauty, and it's just this black shard where her dragon forms collapsed and um, Philip's sword in the middle of it. So she... Which could easily be a reference to the Sword in the Stone if you think about it. Yeah, it's it's probably one of the most violent Disney deaths that has been shown actually on camera but then again going into that's a deep dive for another day yeah. <laughs> in terms of i will i will we... add a little snippet to that what i think was probably worse was the was from the princess and the frog how he got literally dragged to hell yeah that's that's a top one um i mean if you want to go really dark go look at the renaissance um Mm -hmm. seeing Clayton's body silhouette, um, Scar getting eaten alive by the hyenas, um, and Frollo literally falling into the eternal pits of hell. Yeah. God, I love Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Diverging a little bit on this topic, um, what type of yeah. things do you not want to see in a D&D campaign? Like, what certain triggers do you think should stay out of campaigns you want to be in? 
Um, very much similar to Amber, violence against children. Mm -hmm. um, I very much steer clear of that uh, when I run games. I it, and if I might have like a the villain might disguise themselves as a child, but I will never explicitly. I will never. It's sort of like pain and punish. Uh, pain and what's the other one from Hades? Uh, from Hercules, uh, where they disguise themselves as kids to get Hercules yeah. attacked by the Hydra. They're not actually going to be in any trouble. Um, but yeah, I would never want violence against children. Uh, also. Um, Anything involving uh, sexual assault, um, consent with players is key. Yeah, I say this as someone who needs to remind himself about this as well, um, constantly, because whilst I'm fine with like the silly stuff, mm -hmm. like I if. If there's going to be a beach episode, as it were, I'll be fine with that. Uh, but other people may not be. And if that's the case, then no beach episode. And that's fine. I can, I'm far happier with that yeah. uh, being the case. Because um, the main thing at the end of the day is, for me, keeping players safe. Yeah. Um. So if a player is safe, then they can have fun. And if they have fun, then I, as a DM, can have fun. Uh, that is how I see things. And um, my word of self-advice always just to chat with your players, check in with them and go, hey, how are you guys doing? Any issues? Anything you want to talk about? Um, doesn't matter if you've got two weeks of experience or two decades of experience. Always talk with the players because yeah. especially if it's like a heavy session, like if you have a session where something really, really big happened, check in with them because that is going to unintentionally weigh on their minds quite a lot. Um, if a player character dies, check in with everyone. If there was an argument between two player characters, check in and make sure everything's okay and that it nobody's um, going to uh, be Go upset. Go deep end, as it were. Yeah. Because what happens... Um, in the campaign can affect what happens in real life. People who yeah. say that, uh, people who say what happens at the table stays at the ha table. That's what we want. But also, if the table is toxic, then that to toxicity doesn't stay in one location. It travels. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves and just be able to go, Okay, we've had this uh, moment. I just want to check in with you guys and make sure everything's good. Yeah.
But yeah, I'm, uh, speaking of that, we actually, I actually, if you remember, had to talk to all y'all about Patch's backstory in his intro. If yes. you remember. And... I'm glad I did, because we were going to have a very, a darker version of that backstory, but then I got to talking with the rest of y'all, and I, y'all told me you really don't want that, but you really don't want that, and so I went back to the invader and was like, hey, we're going to have to tone it down, I understand, yeah, your character has to pass away for it to be this race, but it can't be as gruesome as you wanted it. The best I can give you is quick, clean, mentioned once, never to be mentioned again. And thankfully enough, he was okay with that. And Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I like about Patch, uh, about Patch's Player Invader, is that he's open to um being told, hey, maybe just turn it down a little bit with his like with his backstory. Yeah. That's a really that's a sign of someone who actually cares about the game because it's like if you get those you get players like Pat like Invader who go, okay, I get where the other players are coming from. I will turn it down. That's fair. Um because we can still have this dark backstory. But there's a difference between it being a dark backstory and it being a dark backstory. Unnecessarily gruesome backstory, yeah. Yeah. It's all fine and dandy, for example, to say, oh yeah, I came from a town that no longer exists because it got slaughtered. Just as an example, this isn't Invader's uh, story for Patch. But if you go into the visceral detail of what happened to that town... Um, yeah, no, um, that's not really, that, that kind of can put people off. Um, and to me, players who refuse to change their backstories to make other people uncomfortable, this is just a personal thing, but those kinds of players to me strike me a little bit too much main character syndrome I was just going to say that. <laughs> Definitely main character syndrome, if not a mild case of narcissism. Yes. I mean, I feel so terrible with my backstory because I could go so in-depth. And, like, I sent you a page and a half. Yes, you did. Stuff. And I know you could probably sent me more. Because you sent me, like, a summary of a summary. Yeah, I sent you the summary because I'm thinking I don't want because it's for me my biggest fear as a player is to unintentionally become the main character. Yeah, that's that's why I mute myself uh, during conversations because I'm not there, uh, yeah. and if I make a quip, that can interrupt the flow. Um, and um. When it comes to like the main character, like I want everyone to have a moment to shine. I was um, like during our last combat, um, we had 
everyone having brilliant moments of shining through. We had yeah that um, that episode isn't coming out till next week, so yeah, try not to spoil too much. But, <laughs> yeah, everybody has a moment where they actually got a moment to be a badass. Yeah, and it was that's... crazy. Oh yeah, it was absolutely fucking crazy. You had your but moment. Everybody... Patch had his moment. Rion had her moment. Alexandria, Vlad, Karma. It yeah. was. It was probably That's, the best combat I was ever able to watch and be a part of. Yeah. And that's the store that's what you need as a game. You need everybody to have that moment. Like I'm thinking about what each player's character did and having just a wonderful time remembering it. I'm not even focusing on what Laya did. Um everybody had their chance and that is what it boils down to is that at the end of the day it's not who is the main character it's that we're all the main characters no character even character i'm going to reference the D movie here one of the best things about that movie was that each character got a moment to shine no one had it was written as the D campaign i'm almost certain about it and everybody had a moment to shine didn't matter which character it was they all had that moment where they went okay we're focusing on this character we're focusing on that character and it made that movie incredible and that's what you need for a campaign. Everybody is the main character. Everybody's the group is rememberable, and everybody gets a chance to be the head. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I'm just glad that I have y'all as my players because y'all are probably the best group of players I've had because you all understand all these things and that. Yes, everyone needs gets their moment to shine, and everyone has their own little mini arcs that they're going to have. And during those mini arcs, you just got to step back a minute. Let them shine, because you know you're going to have your own time to shine. Everybody will have their time to shine. Especially when exactly. it comes to that big final battle, everyone's going to have their moment. Amen to that. Okay, we went a little derailed there for a second, but hey, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Name one campaign that doesn't get derailed. Uh, solo play. Yeah. <laughs> solo play or completely scripted games? Not if I run them. Uh... <clears throat> D&D Beyond. Not sponsored. <laughs> Not sponsored. Actually, no, I'm calling them out. <laughs> <laughs> you know their charity screams seem scripted. Yeah. Alright, how about this? What is your favorite race and class to play that you have played? And why is it your favorite class or and race? Oh, fuck. Don't make me answer this. Um... <laughs> uh... Oh dear. Um, 
Just name your top two from each. Uh, this, is, this is a difficult one. Um, I think for me... Uh, oh, no. Um, okay. I can name my classes easier than I can name my races, so I'll go with the classes. Uh, cleric and Bard. Those wow. are... Well, Bard I can understand. That's a lot of people's favorites, but coming out of left field with Cleric there, I know a lot of people really don't like it. A lot of people don't, but I do, and the reason why is because people don't like it until they suddenly realize, oh no, we need a Cleric. Uh... <laughs> We, any time uh, I have a cleric, um, being a cleric is a lot of fun and also it's a great, it's a great, I would argue cleric is probably one of the best beginner spell classes to have, spellcaster classes to have. Um, I can vouch with you on that. My first class, my first character was a dwarf cleric that came from the starter set. <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, uh, clerics, paladins, and druids, I believe, are the three classes that have all their spells when they level up. So they know what their spells, they know all their spells. They don't have to pick and choose. Um, and they can swap them out um, fairly easily. So it's like, oh, uh, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, socializing and plotting. Maybe I don't need this many spells that helps with combat today. Or, oh, we're going to be doing a lot of fighting. Uh, well, I'm going to say goodbye to this spell that... Um, Got to get that mass cure wounds ready. Yep. <laughs> okay. Let me go get the rubies for the revivify. Um because and also with clerics, uh, it's. I think it's an easier choice because you get you don't have to then look at every spell and choose yeah. and then feel like oh was this the spell I should have had was that the spell I should have had, and what and what's ended up happening as well and this is what will make a lot of min maxes happy, clerics are OP as fuck. <laughs> Jesus. Because, because um, what's happened is wizards have spent so much, uh, every edition, the clerics have just gotten more and more and more powerful because nobody wants to play the cleric because everyone assumes the cleric uh, is not going. I feel like a lot of the older players um, that are troublesome, they wanted to be the main character. And it's like everybody doesn't, the cleric doesn't strike initially as someone who is important. They strike as a background character. And then the clerics pull through and actually help the party in more ways than one. Clerics have been responsible, especially in 5th edition now, for a lot more 
badass moments from what I've seen than just about any other class. I mean, if you've got a campaign where you're fighting undead, uh, having a cleric with the turn undead ability, if they're a life cleric, they're a walking nuclear bomb. Forget your artificer, just shove the cleric in. Don't say that to your nephews. <laughs> don't don't let them know about life cleric. <laughs> but yeah, um, cleric is definitely my because also it allows you to have sociable moments. And I, as someone who loves role play, um, it's a great way to develop a character who is more complex. Um, so yeah, that is my, those are my two favorite classes. Uh, in terms of races to play, um, I would, I, oh God, both of them are so edgy. Um, tieflings and drow are my big ones. Um, though I do also have a soft spot for Furbolgs. Yeah. Yeah, I could see arguments for all that. And for races, uh, we actually do share one favorite. Because my two favorite races to play are Goliath and Tiefling. I love playing Goliaths and Tieflings. Goliaths are also a lot of fun. One of my favorite NPCs I ever made was the Goliath Bouncer. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, speaking of that Goliath, my two favorite classes would have to be Warlock and Rogue. Now, a cool thing you can do with a Goliath Rogue, you put your expertise in Intimidation, and every time your DM asks you to roll a stealth roll, you ask if you can roll intimidation, and your character just screams, "You can't see me!" Gets a nat twenty. We don't see you. We we don't see you. <laughs> it's amazing. I love I love doing that. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. And yes, I know being a Goliath rogue probably isn't meta or good for min maxing. But it's fun. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I argue fun is more important than min-maxing. Very much so. Alright. Now, here's a spicy question I put in just for you. Do you prefer to be the player or the dungeon master, and why? If you'd asked me that before we started, I would have said the DM. Um, but now it's a lot more difficult. I'm okay. still going to say... Oh, I'm, I would still say the DM is my preferred location. Mm -hmm. But that's 
because um, being a player has uh, being a player has benefits that you don't get as a DM. Mm-hmm. The big thing about being a player is you don't stress about what's happening to all the it sounds bad when I put it like that, but you don't have to stress about what the plan is for next week um, or the week after for the next session or the session after that. Um, unless, uh, like obviously there's things you should consider, like what's going to happen next week? Are we going to do this or are we going to do that? The DM role, you have to consider anything and everything and there's still a chance that you think you've got everything and then your players do something completely out of left field and it's like ah bollocks yeah um speaking of that i don't know if you remember but a couple weeks ago when y'all were getting to that bandit camp rion went way out of left field was like i'd like to cast speak with animals on the horses I was not expecting yes. that, because y'all were already getting ready to go, and I was thinking, okay, cool, and she's like, hold up, hold up, and that's how Hans and Franz was born. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the best NPCs are born from players being chaotic goblins. Um, <laughs> one of my all-time loved, beloved characters is I still can't believe I remember the name Jack the Soup Kitchen uh, Chef. <laughs> he was a throwaway character, but the players wanted to adopt him, and I had to physically go. I had to physically tell them, "No, please do not adopt the chef." This um, isn't one piece. You can't reject the rejection. <laughs> Yeah, the it's always a case of the one character that gets re, the, you make one character that gets a, that's a throwaway, but you put just a little bit too much effort into it, and all of a sudden the players love him, mm-hmm. love them. Um, and there is no DM in the world that is immune from that. Every single DM has. I call it the Victor Syndrome. Uh, for Victor the Black Powder Merchant from Critical Role. <laughs> Throwaway character that Matt made up on the fly and became a fan favorite. And a party favorite. And I don't think Matt realized at the time until much later, oh no, (laughs) what have I done? Yeah, I've decided to get ahead of the curve on that. I've given Hans and Franz a whole backstory. (laughs) Yes! They have a plot now. (laughs) To be fair, so did Jack. Uh... He had a whole story where he was a refugee from a neighboring kingdom and 
uh, the last time the players interacted with him, he'd actually been given permission by uh, the local city-states to set up a proper um, place to operate uh, because he'd been chased out or he, because he was a refugee, he was working basically at a counter uh, in a slum mm -hmm. and his work was so well liked that the city's um, <coughs> uh, council, merchant council turned around and said, oh yeah, you, you have permission to come into the city walls and set up an actual proper business now. That's, that's a touching story of Jack the Soup Kit, Jack the Soup Kitchen Chef. Yeah. Oh, I've just remembered my victor as another one of my victors. Had a druid uh, who this was in Dungeon World. They basically wild shaped into a uh, blue tit uh, because the town they were in had a large blue tit population. Mm -hmm. So they started talking with the birds and I panicked in giving the birds an accent. So the Blue Tits had Italian-American gangster accents from the 1930s. You coming to me on the night of my daughter's wedding. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, thus was established the Blue Tit Mafia. Uh, and their leader, Joe Pecky. Of the Pecky family. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. To this day, he, I still get uh, memes uh, and messages from my players in that campaign of a bird doing something and being like, uh-oh, Joe Pecky has gotten involved again. Honestly? When it comes to those random NPC characters, I'm just waiting for the day Amber decides I'm gonna cast speak with animals, speak with animals on chirp the battle weasel. <laughs> oh, I've got no, the don't... accent ready and everything. Oh, that's gonna be brilliant. Same with Q's cat, his shadow cat, or whatever it is. I forget alright and we really got off topic there what is your process for making NPCs that's what I was asking okay yeah uh, I, I didn't hear the question. You come out just as you're about to ask the question. Uh, when it comes to making an NPC, I make a little... There's like... So I immediately roll a bunch of dice in the back of my head mm -hmm. uh, to determine the basic stuff, the race, the age, 
the sex, the gender. Um, my the important thing for me is, let's say I've got a campaign set in a city that is a melting pot of cultures because I like doing that. I like having, I don't like having one area like massively dominated by one race and then there's smaller little groups. I love melting pots because they make the world a lot more vibrant and it's also easier for players to feel a lot more comfortable in if they're playing a like a more obscure race if you will yeah um like if someone like to start off with with the starter races if someone's playing a half walk and i have a city that is dominantly human well they might feel inclined to make their character stand out yeah. Um, but if I say the town has a noticeable half orc population and have the innkeeper as a half orc and everybody treats that orc, that half orc with a modicum of normal respect, then the player is going to be like, oh, okay, this is a game that I'm not going to have to worry about being an outsider in. It's it's one of my it's another one of my um big don'ts is uh, as a dm is don't fall into the trap of um making one race the bad guys uh, so when it comes to an npc i will come up on the because i did improv in theater class uh I will quickly come up with like, okay, it is this character or that character. If they're a throwaway, I will just make a quick list of quick description. Um, okay, you're buying from the, you're going to a blacksmith. Okay, you find that the blacksmith is a tabaxi uh, male um with a ponytail um they are a um short haired feline tabaxi because that makes sense because a long haired one's going to have a bit more of an issue yeah with uh sparks flying and getting in their whiskers um oh you're going to um an alchemist to get potion supplies okay uh you arrive at the alchemists and it is a um it is a halfling uh halfling female uh with rainbow hair um who's a bit stout and has a bit of a foul mouth uh because she likes to speak what she thinks and then if the players start to develop a friendship with the with the character, then I will start making like backstories for them, start developing stories for them, yeah. So that it it could eventually be a case of they get a side quest, um, 
one of my favorite characters I have as a stored NPC in the back of my mind is uh, Henry. Henry is the black market weapon salesman. Um, you need a weapon that is a little bit dodgy. You go to ha uh, Henry. Um, and in one campaign I was running, he offered a side quest where uh, for one free item from his shop, you can purchase, uh, you get told uh, that his uh, son owns a farm outside the city and recently something's been going at his livestock. And if you go take care of the beast that's attacking uh, the livestock, you get a free uncommon item from Henry's store. Um, I had a drow alchemist called Elandra who needed a, an item dropped off to a friend of hers in a major city. I admittedly did that as a bit of a test on the players because uh, one of them I was a bit concerned was going to turn into a, ooh, what does this package have? Um, the package was a deck of many things. How many did it pull? They never opened it, and I'm proud of them. I will be honest. One of my DMs gave us a test very similar to that. And it was a deck of many things. I pulled 30 cards. Oh no, how many avatars did you get? I got a free wish, and then I got incinerated by Tiamat. <laughs> yep. You know what my wish was? Fire resistance? No. I had... He eroded it. I had to use the wish in that second. Basically, it was, if I died, my consciousness gets transferred to whoever killed me. Oh, Chernobyl. I became Tiamat for the campaign. But... Oops. I didn't specify how I wanted it, so I became Tiamat, but with my stat block. <laughs> so I couldn't even fly. I was I was playing a uh, halfling wizard, okay? So, not only do I have the low health... The only thing it gave me a plus two was intimidation. Because <laughs> I was a literal giant dragon. Yeah. With eight hit points. An armor class of 12. Because yeah. he thought it was a good idea to let level one players play around with the deck of many things. But I can't fault him for it. Mm -hmm. We were in high school. It was for the club. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I also have a test, just going off tangent here, for the for min-maxes. 
Uh, this is my litmus test to find out if someone's becoming a min-maxing bird or hobo. Uh, I call it the owl bear uh, scenario. Players make camp outside uh, in the wilds, in the plains for the night. And at some point during watch, an owl bear wanders close to the camp. Now, it's not hostile, but it is making a lot of noise. If the players kill it, because they're thinking, oh, it's an owlbear, let's Here kill it. Mama. No, the owlbear is mama. <gasps> no! Oh, you have, like, cubs following her, don't you? Yes. She was looking for her cubs, and that's why she's making the noise. And the cub, let me guess, the cubs are on the other side of the camp, and they come out just to see them slaughter their mother. Yep. You literally Bambi's mum the owlbears. How bad did your players feel? I am proud to say they did not kill the owlbear. They didn't even touch it. They waited, and after three rounds of no combat combat, the owlbear cubs appeared. They rushed to mummy, and then mummy and the cubs went away. That's very touching. Because owlbear, a mama, and the cubs are not going to care about these people with fire. They just want to get back together and go do their own thing. You hear that, Rhea? You don't have to kill everything on the road. <laughs> My sister is a murder hobo. Uh, no, it makes you insane. There's a difference. <laughs> All right. Now, I've got one more question for you. Yep. How do you build custom enemy stat blocks and abilities? How do you do it? Ooh, that is an interesting question. Um, so, first and foremost, is it a monster or is it a vague is it someone who could potentially be a player character? Because if it's a monster... I'm thinking mini-boss, main-boss kind of thing. So, so it could be either uh, or. Either or. Um, so I have created things in the past. Some of them have been reskins. For example, I created um, a Fey Shield Guardian. Um, which used a stat block for um, and modified that slightly. Um, if I am making a villain, I look at what the monster manual does for that villain for, for that specific kind of thing. So, for example, I had the idea of a power couple. One of my favorite bosses to do is a power couple. Um, one campaign was going to have 
um, a, I think they're referred to as shadow dragons. Um, a dragon that has been corrupted by the shadow felt. Yeah, I think those are the shadow dragons. Hold on, I got the monster manual okay. pulled up right now. Yeah, um, shadow dragons. Yeah, so a shadow dragon and a level 20 uh, dragonborn sorceress. Uh, and they were going to be a husband and wife team that were planning on taking over this whole region as their domain. So if I get a character that has magic or has powers or whatnot, what will often happen is I will take a look at the uh, at actually making them as a PC. So I give them their stats and then I level them up through their class all the way to the level that I want them to be. Do you let their stats so get can... past 20 since they are a monster, technically? I will if it makes sense. Um, so, for example, I mentioned that my last campaign, I had a plan for a level 20 paladin, level 20 wizard combination um, in the form of a once powerful necromancer that had been defeated. Mm -hmm. um, they, I would have leveled them up first in wizard and then in paladin, so multicast into paladin, and then seen what would have happened and then if there were any modifications that needed to be done uh do those they would have been extraordinarily wise and extraordinarily intelligent they probably would have had like a 25 in those uh so i uh and then the play test to see if it's overpowered is when the players get to fight it. But what I do is by the time the players end up fighting your big bad evil guy, they should have the capability of defeating the big bad evil guy. And if some of them fall, it's a bittersweet end. Um but hopefully, hopefully they've got a cleric. Uh, hopefully. Or, Unfortunately, or hopefully, we all. Uh, I'm more or less a cleric at this point. I've got kill wounds and healing. Well, no, I don't have kill wounds. I've got healing blood. Yeah, you at least got um, the paladin who has the lay on hands, at least. Yeah. Because lay on hands, level 20... Sheesh. That's a lot of hit points for free. It's like a hundred, isn't it? Because it's your uh, yeah. charisma mod times your, your times level your something. paladin level. Yeah. And you you get you always try to get charisma to twenty as fast as possible, just for the uh, maximum lay on hands. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When it comes to my process for making my big bads, 
I do it a little unconventionally. I'll find something I want to base it off of. Like, let's say... Okay, cool. I want to find a wizard-type big bad for this section of the campaign. And I'll go through my little cards I have that have the monsters on them. And, oh, look at this. Archmage. And then I'll be like, is this appropriate for the level they are at? Let's say they're all going to be level 5 right before the big battle. A CR 12 party of 4. It's about there, isn't it? But I'm, but I'm usually like, it's the last battle. I want to make it a little deadly. So I'll go in and I will do some rolls. I will roll the HP out. And if it's a higher number, I'll take it. And then I might boost the AC by like one or two for a magic caster. And then sometimes I'll just re-roll all the stats. Like, uh, you know that 46 trick I did for stats? Where you take away the lowest yep. one? For my big bads, I don't take away that lowest number. The max they can get is 24, but that's very unlikely to happen. Yeah. I think the biggest I've gotten one is 22 at the moment, which is only a plus 6. And you're thinking, they got a plus 6 to this, and it's final battle after like 30 sessions, you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. Alright. Let's end this on a more light-hearted question. Who do you prefer? Hans or Franz? <laughs> Brother Hans or Sister Franz? Um. Oh yeah, just a heads up. Sister Franz is transgender. Because <laughs> they're both mules. They're both pack mules, yes. and they were both steeds. Yes. So, Hans I and mean, Franz. <laughs> I mean, I like them both equally. Long live, and, you know, well done on France. I'm glad that they felt comfortable, and long live the LGBTQIA plus community. I'll be completely honest, the only reason Franz is a transgender female is because I accidentally called her Hans's sister Franz. But hey, that's probably the it was probably for the best. It's gonna make a it made a great backstory to explain the insecurities this horse felt and its prejudiced horse community about it. <laughs> yeah. And that was the whole reason they ran off. From the herd and became pack mules. I basically wrote spirit, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, that's how the best things happen. Sometimes I'll just. I like throwing uh, 
random. If I generally my characters don't, ha my NPCs don't have like a sexual affinity or a gender orientation until I'm like, oh, you know what? This would be a perfect time to just, yeah, fuck it, their chance. There's no like incentive or anything. It's just like, yeah, their chance. Um, or it'll be because of, oh, I messed up how they're saying it. Let's keep it. Yeah. Then again, that's how some of the best stories are made. Accidentally. Exactly. Yep. And well, that's all for this episode of Behind the Screen, everyone. I hope you enjoyed. And as always, my dice goblins and gremlins, this is the Penmeister, signing off. <laughs>